Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. From fashion, beauty and homeware, myself, Grace Hill, will chat to leading experts in the industry to shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So in celebration of Black History Month, we want to dedicate this episode to the great Black creators and influencers within our industry who continue to break barriers, educate the masses, and serve the communities that have been neglected and underrepresented for too long. Progress for racial equality may be slow, but retailers are waking up to racial injustice. Accountability is key, and as a part of the retail ecosystem, this is an important cause for Edited, where we're being proactive across our internal organization and participating externally in the conversation to bring attention to these core issues throughout the year most recently with events to celebrate Black History Month. In the description of this podcast, we have a list of resources written and curated by our team and our edited Black ERG, from reports like how retailers are waking up to racial injustice, to movie recommendations such as Small Axe, and a Spotify playlist of moving songs and insightful podcasts. On today's episode, though, we're highlighting Adua Beauty, a Black-owned beauty brand that's making huge strides in the beauty industry. Irrespective of your racial background, we know you'll gain lots of great takeaways. Julian, we're so thrilled to have you on Unedited. Welcome, and how are you in Texas? I'm good. It's been a little bit crazy with the weather, but, you know, I'm okay. My family's okay. We had a little bit of flooding at the business, some pipes burst, but luckily it wasn't like a crazy amount of damage. So I'm blessed. It could have been a lot worse. So I'm not complaining. Oh, well, I'm really thrilled to hear that. Was that in kind of, you had flooding in your office space or was that? In our warehouse. We're in a space that has apartments on top. Right. So I guess one or maybe few of the apartments on top, their pipes burst. So then the water came down and it destroyed a lot of our boxes and some of our merchandise, but it's not too crazy. It's not like where we're like hurting. So it could have been a lot worse. So I'm grateful for that. Always look at, look at the bright side of things. Absolutely. And I guess being a founder as well and having to you know navigate all of that, that comes into under your remit of having to make sure that everything is working and operating as it should be. So Julian, you've had such an inspiring career trajectory from kind of balancing a corporate finance job and at-home salon, and both have kind of eventually led you to creating Adjua Beauty. How did you pivot and realize that the beauty was the space that you wanted to be in? You know, I think life pivoted for me. I can't honestly say that I pivoted into beauty at any point. Mm-hmm. You know, I got into the beauty industry when I was 14. And I, I got into the beauty industry when I was 14 because I wanted to work and I didn't have a green card living in the U.S. So mm-hmm. I wanted to earn money and buy stuff for myself and help my mom. And I became friends with a girl that was doing hair in the neighborhood and just kind of picked up some styles from her and started doing it myself. And I was like, oh, I can make money. And, with, you know, was charging $20, $30. So it was a means for me to earn cash and work since I couldn't get a traditional job. And then going into corporate America, I discovered the natural hair community 
rediscovered the natural hair community in 2012. And because I had such a long history of doing hair professionally with owning my own salon, mm-hmm. it reignited the passion in me for the beauty industry, but I didn't want to do hair. Like I didn't want to stand in a salon all day. I wanted to be behind the scenes and I wanted to be one of the change makers of the industry. So I got into the natural hair industry and I just like would blog about my own hair journey, like chop, like chopping off my relaxed hair and returning to natural. And then I was like, okay, this doesn't feel right. I'm not, a, I'm not a blogger. I'm not an influencer. Like I don't want to blog everything that I do, everything yeah. that I, it just wasn't a part of my personality. So then I started doing events because I wanted to still talk about hair and I wanted to hear from other people, not necessarily myself. And then doing that, I built up relationships working with brands because I would reach out to them to ask them for products to sponsor me. And then in doing that, I built relationship with influencers because I would reach out to them to hire them to attend the events and do a meet and greet so that they could bring people in. So it's like one thing led me to the next, just really naturally and organically. I can't really say that. I feel like the beauty industry chose me. I didn't choose it. And I just kind of wore all of these hats trying to see what felt right. And that landed me here. I, I did everything, like really started from the bottom. A shampoo girl in the salon, renting a chair, owning my own salon, starting from scratch, coming back into the natural hair industry as a blogger, then doing events, and then building a media agency where I'm working with brands and working with retailers. And then through that experience, I still had a yearning for something different. And I wanted to see a brand like Ajwa Beauty. And I pitched it to different people and different brands and different companies. Like, I didn't want to do it because I didn't, even when I worked in the salon, I didn't have aspirations of starting my own hair care brand. I fell in love with digital at the height of the YouTube and Instagram boom in 2011 and 2012. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to do digital, but I couldn't find a sustainable opportunity to do that. So Audra Beauty, I would say is my creative outlet to do that. And then making great hair products and my knowledge, you know, it all ties back to my history, but it's just really weird how it happened because it didn't happen as seamless as it looks today. Yeah. It's not like you kind of decided one day I want to own my own hair care brand. It was kind of your life experiences that have found you where you are today. And I guess as well, kind of your corporate finance background as well. I can expect that that's had a huge influence as to kind of, you know, enabling you to be the businesswoman that you are. It did because in working in the salon prior to corporate, I had the work ethics. So I'd come to work, I'd stand all day. I didn't have the administrative capabilities. Of course, I went to school, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So working in corporate and especially working at all levels in corporate. So I kind of did the same thing in corporate that I did within the beauty industry. I started as a customer service rep with Citigroup and then went to a team lead, supervisor, manager, and then I ended as an ADP in 2013. So I really started from the bottom everywhere. And there is a special skill set that people don't talk enough of when starting from the bottom. You kind of see things at every level. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the top, 
you're able to see the whole view as opposed to just starting at the top and never having those lower experiences. And I think all of that in the journey has definitely made me well-rounded, especially where it comes to leading people and managing my people and leading a team. It's made me, I've had time to develop into the type of leader that I wanted to be because I've had those experience of leading in corporate America and leading when I was very young. So I started off really strict, really by the books. (laughs) And then as I got older and had more life experiences myself, I feel like I've kind of softened up and became a lot more vulnerable in my leadership style. And even in my founder and CEO style, I'm very vulnerable, more vulnerable than the average. And you can see that even by my social media. So it's like I'm on this life journey that's just manifested through my work. Absolutely. And, and kind of talking about your life's work, you know, creating Agile Beauty, what was the inspiration behind the name of the brand? So I was born in West Africa, Liberia, and I came to the United States when I was two years old. And I grew up in New York City. And even though I grew up in New York City, I grew up in a predominantly African Liberian neighborhood. West African neighborhood. But I also had all sorts of friends, African-Americans, white Americans, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, you know, New York is a melting pot. Mm -hmm. So throughout my journey from growing up in the U.S., having really close ties to my African, West African community and working, I just saw so many similarities and connections in all of our stories of where I come from originally and where I grew up, but it's so disconnected. Like everybody thinks that they're so different from the other, whether that's African-Americans in the diaspora or Africans back home. So when I was concepting Ajwa Beauty, I really, one, wanted to honor my father's country. My father was from Ghana, West (laughs) Africa. He's since passed away. And in the Akan culture that spans from Ghana to Ivory Coast, they name their children after the day of the week that they were born on. So Ajwa is just my name, my traditional name that no one publicly knows, but my family, my mom knows. And Ajwa just means that I was born on a Monday. So Monday born is Ajwa. There's plenty of Ajwas. You guys have Ajwa Aboa, which is the model. So Ajwa to West Africa is like, Lisa, Michelle, it's a very common name. It's not as unique as it is here in the States. And so when I was concepting Audra Beauty, I really wanted to merge the intersections of my identity into this brand Mm -hmm. without being cliche. Like I wanted to merge the Black people in the diaspora and the Black people in Africa together. I wanted both people to be able to see themselves in a brand non-stereotypically. So Ajwa was just a natural choice for me because I knew no one would know how to say it. It's not even pronounced how it's spelled, but what it would do is it would create conversation, right? It would create conversation. It would create the ability for someone to go to Google or to ask, what does this say? What does it mean? And then we start talking about it and we start talking about Ghana and West African culture and history and Black history. And then I wanted to put that on modern packaging, which for me 
symbolizes the modernization of Black people. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make it really clean. Culturally, we're really flamboyant in packaging. Everything's very loud, colorful, bright, gold. And I just wanted it to be gender neutral, very clean, very unassuming. But the name is the strong, is the feature. It stands out. It's, you see that big, you know, we even made the odds were really big and the baby smaller. So it's like, you know, now people don't even say Adra Beauty. They just call the brand Adra because that's what you see. And <laughs> I just really wanted to make that a household name and a household word and bring in West African culture all over the world. So that's where the name comes from. It's just, it's my name. It ties in the people in Africa and the people in the U.S. and even the Caribbean and the U.K. as we have a very large West African population. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was just that one brand identity that anyone from this lineage would connect to. Totally. And obviously, as you said, you know, you're serving a huge community that's not specific to a certain region. We'd love for you to kind of educate our listeners on the key hair care products that a Black consumer demands from their kind of beauty and grooming routine. And like, what are the things that make a Black hair care routine different? Well, it's funny that you asked the question in that way because, you know, the world outside of the Black community tries to group the Black community, but it's not really a Black hair care routine because everyone that's Black has a different type of hair. So with our hair universally, we we need moisture. About maybe 95% of people that identify Black We'll have drier scalp. Not everybody, because again, it's not the same. We're very culturally diverse. Mm -hmm. So depending on where you come from and what gene you got the most, you might be Black and have an oily scalp and need to take a different approach. But the majority craves moisture and dry scalp, especially as it relates to textured hair. So typically, and this is very typically, this is not meant to be vague one size fit all, but Obviously, everyone, whether you're Black or white or Hispanic or Asian, you need a shampoo and a deep conditioner. Mm -hmm. So a shampoo and a deep conditioner is always in our regimen. Um, Non-Black people will usually have a shampoo and a rinse-out conditioner in the shower. A rinse-out conditioner is optional for us because it's just really penetrating the top layer of the cuticles just for detangling and brushing through. It's not really conditioning your hair. In Audra Beauty, we decided not to have a rental conditioner just because it's not a mandatory step. It's a nice to have. And we wanted to focus, especially on our phase one collection of having what was mandatory for this regimen. So we have a shampoo and a deep conditioner and the deep conditioner is going to provide the moisture. The shampoo is going to provide clean without stripping. There's no sulfates, no parabens, no DEA, propylene glycol, phthalates. We took kind of everything out and just made it really as clean as it could get, to be honest. Yeah. But having that aloe vera to naturally open the cuticles and clean the scalp and then making sure that the pH levels was correct for textured hair because formulation is really what matters to any product. So the deep condition, the shampoo is going to open the cuticles and really clean it. And then they're going to follow up 
with a deep conditioner to really get underneath the hair shaft and provide that moisture that we need, which a lot of us suffer from dryness. Those are pretty universal steps in hair care, but the way we formulate it will be a lot more moisturizing, a lot more penetrating. What is different, I think, with the average or the typical Black consumer is we use four or five hair products to style our hair. So in addition to the shampoo and deep conditioner, we would use a leave-in conditioner, and the leave-in conditioner will provide that moisture barrier. Mm -hmm. Our leave-in conditioner is pretty universal across hair textures. Even someone with your hair texture can use it. It's super rich, thick, and creamy. I have one right here. So the big misconception is black hair products are heavy and is greasy, but it doesn't need to be. Even though some are, it's not, greasy heavy is not synonymous with black hair care products. We don't need to be greasy and heavy. The usage of grease for black people actually stems from slavery and what they had to do when they were enslaved. So grease using petroleum on our hair is really not natural. We did use ghee and butters and other things like that during the old African days when things were just a lot more organic. So we take that same approach and add rich butters and oils to our products. But because of the formulation of the products, it's not greasy. It's super light. It's a little bit foamy. So when you're in the shower on soaking wet hair, you just take a few pumps and run it through your hair and it's going to provide that moisture, that healthy, that conditioning to leave it conditioner. So it's going to continue on that conditioning step that you started with the deep conditioner. And if you have fine textured, looser curl, non-black, coarser hair, you can stop with our products at this step. Our products are designed to be buildable. So if you don't have the coarser, kinkier hair, you don't need everything. If you have the coarser and kinkier hair, then you would continue on in the journey. You can stop right here. So I wanted to also create a line that focused on kinkier, curly coily textures, but that could be used by everybody, taking the skincare approach and making it buildable. You want more coverage, you want less coverage, that's how you would pursue the brand. And then we have our curl defining cream or our curl defining gel, which is two different stylers. Curl defining cream, the Black customer would use that for, we do like twist outs or braid outs where we basically just twist add products and just twist our hair or braid our hair and then let it dry and it comes out in that shape. I'm sure you've seen that on social media. Everybody, It's kind of like a roller set type of scenario, but you're just twisting your hair. So we have those products. And then we have an oil blend as our final products in the line, which focuses on scalp care. It contains over 15 different essential and carrier oils like baobab, pomegranate, winter mint, spearmint, wintergreen, lavender. So it's just really, really rich, chock full of great oils that help with UVA, UVB protection, environmental protection. And you can just use that on your scalp on a daily basis. So I tried to launch the collection with everything that we would need in a wash day, but still making it buildable. So where everyone can find something in our collection in your regimen. And what I love as well is the fact that you said that it's buildable and not everyone's hair has the same texture, right? And dependent on the texture of your hair and your requirements, you can use what products make sense for you and kind of take it from there. So 
there's always been that gap in the market for black hair care. And obviously where you started working in the hair care market as a teenager, working in the salon, when did it occur to you that something needed to change? I think it really occurred to me that something needed to change in 2016 when I was concepting Ajua Beauty. I hadn't, because I come from the hair world and growing up in the inner city, New York City, you're kind of just in this pocket of the world that looks diverse to you. I mean, we didn't really see ourselves on big magazines, Vogue and Glamour, but we had our magazines. We had Hype Hair. You know, we had different black hair magazines in the salon. So I was around the representation because I was in the industry. And then as I came back into the natural hair industry, I guess with the evolution of social media, and now we're all connected and you're seeing a lot more and you have a lot more access. And then also in 2016, I was witnessing a modernization of beauty, really of everything. You know, you saw that with mattresses with Casper. You saw that with glasses with Warby Parker. Um, You didn't see that with suitcases with Away. And then with skincare with Glossier and all these millennial, young, youthful, fresh brands. It's like mainstream was taking old things and making it new again. And it was just super fascinating because it's like, it's a mattress, but I wanted a (laughs) castle and I followed this because they branded it so cool. Even the way that it was packaged, it came rolled up in the box. And I'm like, at the end of the day, that's a mattress. You know what I mean? These brands really understood what the consumer wanted, right? It's like Glossier understood that the millennial or the Gen Z customer didn't want to be wearing heavy eyeshadow. They wanted a more natural, you know, look and routine. And it's like interesting that they really spoke and understood that. Spoke and understood that from a formulation perspective, but also from a packaging perspective, right? Even knowing that they want it to look cool and they want to take a photo and they want it to be on their top vanity, you know, bringing in, you know, pun intended, that vanity all through the brand because- That's just what it is. Yeah, we want affected products, but we also want it to look cute. And I really understood that. And being in the natural hair industry, working with fellow Black-owned brands, I just wasn't seeing that modernization trickle over to our community. It, It was very stereotypically packaged. The products inside the jar had become revolutionary and innovative, but the packaging outside it was really the same from when I started in hair 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I just couldn't understand why we weren't bringing that to market. Like we weren't taking notice and bringing that same type of innovation and modernization to black hair care. And I felt that that was missing. So I wanted to see a modern gender neutral brand mm-hmm. because hair is hair, right? There's no... You know, another thing that brands do is they create a line and create a men's collection and it's the same formulas. You just put a masculine fragrance in a darker yeah. packaging. It's not like it's formulated or men have different hair strands than female. <laughs> so I didn't want to do any of that, what I call gimmicky type of marketing. I just wanted a clean, straightforward mm-hmm. brand that didn't look like when you see us on shelf, 
You don't know that it's an air quotes black hair care product, which it isn't. It's a texture hair product made by a black woman. But one thing the world does is when something's made by black people, it becomes for black people. When you see it on the shelf, you don't see it stereotypically looking like it's for a certain consumer. But when you come to the brand and you come to our website and you look at our marketing and our packaging and our brand identity, you see that it's for textured hair. I wanted that type of access and to build a prestige hair care brand for Black people that was made by a Black woman. And that's what I didn't see in the market. And that's really what Adjua Beauty is and what she's here to serve. Totally. And like, as you said, you know, making sure that the product is beautiful all the way through. And I think that really speaks to that prestige element that the brand really stands for and offering that in the market. And obviously, you've spoken a lot about the fact that Adua Beauty is gender neutral, and that is very important for the brand. And that obviously men are ever more increasingly interested in hair care and the products that they're using. How have you found men reacting to your line? We have about 15% of our customer base is men. You know, clearly we need to do more work there, you know, and there's a lot of opportunity, but men really love our male consumers. They really love our leave-in conditioner and our oil blend. Those are the two products that is purchased heavier by our male consumers. They use it on their hair, but they also use it on their beard. We can do a lot more marketing on the usage for men. But, you know, the smell is very neutral. It's not over florally or fruity. The packaging is neutral. Even when they came in our showroom, our brand is Ajwa Beauty Blue, but it's a soft blue. So it could go for men. It could go for women. It's gender neutral all through. So they don't feel intimidated when they walk in the showroom to purchase products. So, yeah, we've had a great response. In the coming years, we will look to normalize that and do better, especially as it relates to Black men who didn't really find themselves in beauty. You know, it's it's a, it's kind of, you know, controversial, but we definitely want to normalize that more. And that is an area that we are going to be hyper-focused on in the coming years. And out of curiosity, how do you see yourselves? Like what strategies would you put in place to normalize that? You know, engaging our male consumers more, Mm -hmm. um, representation matters. So, you know, using more male influencers to show product usage, speaking more to, we do this now on Insta stories. We have social media marketer, James, he, you know, he, he showed how to use it on his beard and, you know, he does Instagram to Insta story tutorials. So we just need to double down on that and do that more and be more engaging because women are, you know, usually the ones doing the purchasing in their households. It's very easy to just kind of have the female voice, you know, even if the male uses beauty products, his wife or his (laughs) doing the purchasing for him. And we have a lot of that as well, where our female consumers The product is used by their whole families. Their husband grabs it in the shower. Their kids grab it. So it's being used by the whole family. But as far as a male coming to our website, purchasing the products, that's the 15% ratio that we're going to do better. We, We want males to feel comfortable 
in knowing that Audra Beauty is for them and coming to buy it without waiting on their girlfriends to buy it. And honestly, males are just a lot more loyal consumers. Yeah. Like once they find something that works for them, if it doesn't change or discontinue, they're just going to keep grabbing it. We women will try this and try that and try this and might come back to this. Yeah. Men usually don't do that. They buy it and they stick with the brand for a very long time. So it is definitely a goal of mine to do that more this year. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting, like you said, you know, focusing on those influencers and engaging with that audience, you know, in the way that is most effective to men. So obviously, Adra Beauty, you are currently focused on hair care. What other category opportunities do you think exist within the beauty market that cater to the Black community? You know, I think everything. I I feel like there's so much white space everywhere. Clearly, we want to segment into different areas. We'll be predominantly a hair care brand, but we do want to have complementary SKUs for these customers. So, you know, we're looking at home fragrance like candles and body care, which is very important. Some skincare, you know, we won't ever dive too deep into skincare because that's just not my area, but we can use the same botanicals and natural ingredients for certain skincare elements. We definitely want to add sun protection for Black people for melanated skin because that's an area that we still do not really see as super important because of our melanin. But as we progress and we are not taking very good care of the planet, we need to adjust in how we take care of ourselves. So we kind of want to segment into a little bit of everything. But I mean, for Black consumers, especially at the prestige level, it's such a wide market because there are not a lot of prestige Black-owned brands. We're seeing an influx now in the skincare space, but there's still so much room for innovation. And I love how you spoke about kind of opportunities within body care candles and how you can create synergies with the botanicals and the, what you currently have in your line, but also how it speaks really nicely to the self-care movement and everything that we're seeing off the back of coronavirus and mental health and looking after ourselves and our own well-being. Exactly. So according to Nielsen, Black consumers are likely to spend nine times more on beauty products than any other group. So for example, in 2017, Black shoppers spent $473 million in total on hair care and $475 million on skincare. However, despite the overwhelming demand, Black beauty has historically been ignored and underrepresented in all facets of the industry. Why do you think that is? There are so many factors. That's such a nuanced question. Yeah. But no one can deny that systemic racism plays a part. You know, Black brands have historically been left out of the beauty conversation. Even if you look at the clean beauty conversation, clean beauty originated in Africa. It originated with Black people. When we make products in our kitchen, we use shea butter and oils. We never had access to silicones and parabens. That's in a lab. Mm-hmm. We've always been DIYers. So that's where the clean beauty started. But if you look at the clean beauty conversation across any platform today, it's white girl brand. 
Yeah. Clean beauty means white girl skincare brand. Black yeah. people are not included in the clean beauty conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think historically, we just haven't had access to spaces and to capital, which shapes everything the way that non-Black brands have. So I think that that's a big factor. Mm-hmm. However, playing devil's advocate, which I always do, I think that we as Black brands can also do better in packaging and marketing our brands. Sometimes we have really great products, really innovative formulas inside the jar, but we are known to stereotypically only package and market and sell to other Black people. We don't give the world an opportunity to experience and to enjoy our products, which would open up the market for us and create that demand in the spaces that I just said that we were shunned out of. So I think it's twofold. It's like cause, systemic racism, reaction, create something only for us. When really that's not sustainable because in order to scale a brand, you have to be able to have all types of consumers, yeah. whether you're a black brand or a white brand, because money is money and everybody has it. <laughs> so I think, you know, because of the historical context of this world, we've reacted in a way that really hasn't benefited us. And I think things are changing. I, I think now black brands and black people are are getting more sense and are saying, wait a minute, you know, our products like Audra Beauty can be used by anybody that falls within textured hair. If you have textured hair and you're a white girl or white guy with curly hair, you can use it because it's formulated for textured hair. It's not just formulated for black people, even though I'm a black woman. And that's really something that we have to work hard to keep reiterating because everybody does that to us. The press, retailers, everybody. Black brands, oh, this is for Black people. This isn't for me. So we just have to continue educating and continue showcasing broader diversities across the board. Audra Beauty, that's working with white influencers with curly hair. White brands, that's working with Black influencers that fit into your demographic. I think we all have to kind of cross-pollinate, if you will, so that we can enjoy the innovation of this world no matter who makes them. So, I mean... I I think those two things play a part in us being left out of the conversation. Historically, Black people don't, even though we're higher consumers, we we higher consume from non-Black owned brands. So I think making sure that, not making sure, but not taking for granted, because I don't think just because I'm Black, Black people have to buy from me. I think I have to have the same quality and offering and excellence as other brands. So making sure that, I come with that intention, but also once I've showcased that, you know, that I am getting these consumers to support me and I am communicating to them why it's important to support me, everyone. I feel like it's changing. We have all customers, especially being positioned in a store like Sephora, and we just have to continue doing our part and continue educating and showing that representation for everybody. Because what I've realized is even with non-Black people, if they don't see them, I mean, a small percentage don't have to see themselves and they're going to try it anyway. But for the vast percentage, if they don't see themselves represented, they don't think it's for them as well. And I think representation is really important for everybody. And that's what I'm realizing even more being on that shelf space. So 
I hope I answered your question. No, I guess because ultimately that was what I wanted to also ask you was, you know, in terms of representation and shelf space, you know, Aurora James created the amazing campaign, which asked stores to commit a minimum of 15% of their shelf space to black owned businesses. And that 15% representing the proportion of the US population that is black. And obviously Sephora, which is a retailer that Adra Beauty is stocked in, which is really excited, obviously responded by saying, you know, that they recognize how important it is to represent black businesses and communities and that they must do better. And they're starting now. And obviously Julian, where you are a mentor of Sephora's 2021 Accelerate program, what does this mean for the brand and what are your objectives for 2021? Sephora incubates brands. That's why brands go to Sephora. That's what they're known for. That's kind of their sweet spot in the beauty industry. And now we as Black founders is getting an opportunity to experience that. So obviously, I was super proud of Sephora for being the first retailer to take that pledge, but it didn't surprise me. That's just Sephora. They're never wants to shy away from the hard conversations since I've been there. We've had a lot of honest and what would be difficult conversation with other retailers and they want more. They want to do better behind the scenes. Those are things that it's not in the press and they don't talk about, but I signed with Sephora in 2019. So I'm not a part of the Aurora James 15% pledge, even though now that that's famous and I'm black. So a lot of the press will contact me and want to know my thoughts on that or lump us with that. But it's really important for me to point out that we did sign with Sephora in 2019. Sephora approached us February, 2019, And we started that conversation and I decided to launch with Sephora August of 2019, prior to COVID, prior to the BLM movement. And we launched in Sephora in May of 2020 and that started in June. So we launched right at the heels and that's probably why we're like looking like, oh, 15% pledge. It's really important for me to point that out because Sephora was looking and doing the work to have founders prior to that. I mean, obviously now it's a hyper-focus, it's big media to do that, but that's a conversation that was already started. They didn't start that conversation because of Aurora James. When Aurora James came out with that pledge, I think Sephora said, okay, now we really need to amplify this because this is something we know we need to do we've been wanting to do. Now we can support Aurora James in her initiative, Mm -hmm. which I know now is an actual organization, um, nonprofit organization, to help push this initiative. And because they're such a leader, Sephora knows that when they sign on to something, it will create that domino effect. So kudos to Sephora for such strong leadership. I'm so proud to be a part of Sephora. But In addition to the 15% pledge and retailers that can get pledged, I'm happy that happened, but I'm also disappointed because 15% of shelf space is not going to work if Black-owned brands do not have access to capital. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Sephora is still Sephora and you still need to package and look like Sephora and you still need to do well in Sephora. They can't give you shelf space if you're not performing versus them giving shelf space to another brand that can perform at the end of the day, they're a business. So what I would like to see is 
15% of capital for all those brands that are going to shell. Banks and VC firms and angel investors really, you know, creating incubators for Black-owned mm-hmm. brands where they could help them to kind of get to that level and provide the resources because it's really tough to stay on shelf. You need money to market. Yeah. You need money to sample. And if you're just small brand and you're in Sephora, I mean, getting there is one thing, staying there is another. So I think the conversation that she started is important. I still think that it's not finished and it's not completed. And almost a year later, I don't really see that loop closing. So that's something that I would like to see happen really soon. But, you know, Audra Beauty, I, I am taking part as far as a virtual mentor for their 2021 class, but you know, kudos to Sephora for you even using me that way and using my voice so that I can give best practices and experiences to these black owned brands. But that's work that they started prior to the 15% pledge. I think it's such an amazing perspective to have as well, not just giving black owned businesses 15% of shelf space, but as you said, giving them the foundations to succeed and to move forward. As you said, like it takes money. You have to have the capital to be able to support and sustain their growth as, as a business. And that's what Sephora is doing through the Accelerate program. Yeah. So not only are these, I mean, they're so fortunate. They're actually going to launch in a better spot than me because I'm completely <laughs> bootstrapped. But not only are they going through this program and learning about how to be successful and how to create a brand and packaging, but when they're done with that program, Sephora partners them with funding. And Sephora also, when they incubate brands, they also provide funding and assistance, financial assistance mm-hmm. to the brands, which is what they're doing with Audra Beauty. So we're an incubator brand for Sephora, not actually a part of the Accelerate program. So I've just really been blown away by how Sephora does business. And, you know, we had an opportunity to go to every retailer. They all contacted us, the Ulta's, the yeah. Sally Bees, the Targets. And I'm really glad you know, not taking anything away from those spaces because I haven't worked with them. So I don't know their magic, but I'm really glad that we launched with Sephora. It feels like home and it feels for the first time in my entrepreneurial journey, especially since I don't have a co-founder, I really feel like not only are we on their shelf, but they want us to succeed. I really feel supported and I'm really grateful that I made that decision. And how wonderful. I feel like there are so many, you know, founders who maybe wish in hindsight they'd partnered with different investors or were in different situations. And it sounds like you have such a a wonderful partnership and network that's been created through working with Sephora. And what an amazing program for other brands that are starting out to be a part of. I feel like, yeah, it'd be really interesting and exciting to see what brands are created as part of this Accelerate program. And I'm I'm sure you've got so much that you can offer them in terms of insight too. So obviously we've spoken you know, a lot about Sephora and how actually Adjua Beauty being a part of Sephora wasn't as a reaction to you know, everything that happened in 2020, that those conversations started much earlier than that. And we've seen obviously that beauty brands have been championing and backing social issues like Black Lives Matter. But what else do they need to be doing to stay accountable and proactive every day? You know, for example, you know, we obviously seen a lot of 
retailers creating and having diversity and inclusion committees, for example? You know, we had several retailers that came to us in response to the BLM movement mm-hmm. because it was shortly after that that wanted to have conversations to start our brand. You know, some didn't even know how to spell the brand's name. Some came to me and you could tell that they just saw us online. Oh, that looks nice. It's Black-owned. Let's reach out to them. Yeah. And it was super disheartening. I understand that everybody wants to react and have that knee-jerker type of react, and they want to do something, and they want to do something quick. Yeah. But I think we all need to take a step back. And I think the most organic way to do anything is to build relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people want to get married without dating. And I think (laughs) non-Black companies need to understand the Black community, you know, hire Black employees, have Black allies, partner with Black-owned organizations, listen to the Black community, have Black friends. Mm -hmm. If no one at your dinner table, no one comes to your house that is Black. You don't have no black person in your circle. Everybody that you hang around with is white and like you. How in the world do you expect to understand or to relate to black people? You're not going to. You're always going to be playing catch up when you're in black surroundings because you don't have that in your day to day life. So you're going to see me. You're going to want to touch my hair. You're going to want to ask about my skin color because It's not a conversation that you normally have or you don't normally have access to me. And it's so interesting with me growing up in New York City, we're such a melting pot that we have all type of friends, not even just black or white, Indian, Mm -hmm. Asian, Korean, Vietnamese, Laotian. I mean, we just like, you know that not all Asians are the same. Not all Africans are the same. Not all whites are the same. Like the way black people, non-black people just put black people into a a box Mm -hmm. because I'm black. So you know me or you know what I like or you know what I buy. You know, you know my habits. You don't know me. You've never even spoken to me. And I think the world needs to approach it that way, including retailers to one, be able to make a better informed decision, even for their, their store. Just because I'm a black brand, it doesn't mean that I fit within your store or fit within your consumer or I will be successful because If they don't, what is going to happen or what I foresee happening is you're going to rush to put a black brand in your store. It's not going to do well. It's going to have to be pulled out. You're going to get backlash Mm -hmm. from that because Mm -hmm. it's very expensive to be pulled out of a store. Sometimes you have to pay restocking fees. You have to buy back your inventory. And if that black brand is small and can't afford that, you can wipe that person out of business. So I think everyone should take a step back, figure out, who is for them, who is their consumer, and who is their brand. And attach yourself to who is your brand, the founder story. Can you get behind that person? Do you like what I'm posting? Do you like what I'm presenting to the world? Do you want Sephora, do you want to be attached to Julian Otto and Audra Beauty? When you attach your name Sephora to me, are you proud of that? Are you proud about what I'm saying on social? Are you proud about how I'm moving in the world? Are you proud about my efforts? I looked at Sephora like that. Could I be proud of Sephora? 
Do, am I proud of the decisions that they made during the BLM movement, during the COVID movement? How did they move as a retailer? Just as they were vetting me, I'm vetting them. And I think that that's what we need to continue to do, not only in the business setting, but even in a personal setting. So I understand that people wanted to respond to it. I think it was just knee jerk and it was very, and a lot of it felt very performative and inauthentic Yeah, because they wanted that conversation is press, right? So Flora pledges 15%, X and S does this. And then it's like, now you're tokenizing black brands and black people. And you have to be careful not to do that. But I really don't see how, we're going to get along in this world if you don't, you know, diverse your own circle. And that also doesn't mean that every black person is going to be your friend. Like every white person is not my friend, but I have black friends. I have white friends. I have people that I just happen to get along with that shares my values and morals that happen to be other shades of the human spectrum. So You know, and that needs to be applied in every way. I just see so many white people and white brands. And as a white person and as the dominant society in this world, you can have your digital and your your physical space be all white and never interact with black people or black brands because you have what you need. So that also shapes your perspective. You're uncomfortable when you come in contact with black people because it's foreign, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like Will I say something? Will I offend? The normal way that me and my friends talk, if I say something, is that offensive? You don't know what to say because you don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. only way to be more comfortable and to move forward in the world is to be diverse everywhere, not just at work, but even in personal. And I don't know how people are going to do that and move in that way if they're not. I don't really get how that happens, but you know, that's just my perspective. No, and I think you know, obviously that importance of diversity. And also I love the fact that you've spoken about like understanding your customer, understanding like, is it the right fit for both parties, vet each other, you know, that is so important and don't have a knee jerk reaction to the, you know, social issues of 2020. You've spoken obviously a lot about your partnership with Sephora. Are there other brands and individuals that you feel are working extremely well in in, in that manner and have had a real impact in kind of supporting Black-owned businesses? I think I can't like even have that conversation. Target is definitely one. They've had Black brands Prior to BLM, they were really one of the main retailers that sought out the natural hair community 12, 13, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've been doing that work every year. They've honored Black History Month with the collection. So I think Target does that really, really well. Their staff is super diverse. No, I was a part of the Target Accelerator Program yeah. when we first launched Audra Beauty in 2018. And that was a wonderful experience. Their staff really understands a customer clearly everybody shops at Target. So I think Target proved prior to this movement that they were committed to black brands and the black community and I know that that's a space that we as a community feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. And, and even saying that, you know, because they're a mass mass stage retailer as far as on the prestige level, I don't have another example that's doing that and why it was super important to me to one launch a prestige brand but also launch in Sephora so that I can lead to create that example 
but I would say Target. Amazing. And who are some of the other kind of Black-owned businesses that you feel like our listeners should be following and taking note of? There are so many, you know, starting with the Accelerator Program, 54 Thrones, Christina Tedway, she's a, she's, she started an African beauty brand and 54 Thrones represent the 54 countries in Africa, which I thought was super cool. Wow. Really great ingredients, really strong ingredients and can't wait till she launched Sephora. Clur, another skincare brand owned by Leslie Thornton, black woman owned brand. Brad Beauty Supply, who's also with me in Sephora. She's an Australian brand. Imania Beauty, doing the CBD oil. She's also part of the Sephora Accelerator, another Black-owned hair care brand that's going to be launching in Sephora alongside us. I'm super excited about. Um, Lisa Price with Carol's Daughter. It's not Black-owned anymore by L'Oreal, but she's just a pioneer, Lisa herself, in the community and just paved the way for me and so many others. So I would say Lisa as a person. That's all I could think of at the top of my head right now. I'm sorry. No, but I mean, that's amazing. And also, I love how you're referencing, is it 54 Thrones, you said? The, yes. The kind of inspiration by their name and the number of countries within Africa. And I like the link as well to kind of how you were discussing Adra Beauty and kind of the inception of your name and how that relates to your culture and your heritage. So, Julian, one question we always ask our guests is, what is the one thing you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? That we all have something in common with each other. And it's super important to build organic relationships outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So that we can find that innovation and that quality in the world that we seek. I think that's what I would like the listeners to take away, whether you're a business or a person just incorporating that mindset into wherever you see fit, I feel will help elevate you and your business. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it as just one thing. Open up yourself to the world to become a lot more successful and a lot more influential in really creating that legacy you know, that's available to us because we're, we're a little bit together, but we're so disconnected. Mm -hmm. I feel like if we came together, you know, find your tribe, you know, find within those segments who your tribe is and just experiencing that richness of the world, which as an immigrant in the United States, I feel is what I have. Mm -hmm. And to look at things from an immigrant's lens instead of from a black or white lens. Mm-hmm. Because being in this country, it was like you come with stereotypes about American and American life, and that's a whole separate thing. So I'm walking and I'm a black woman, but I'm getting different lessons at home. I'm getting that I'm an African and that I'm an immigrant. And I think one of the things that really works for me is I tend to approach not from a black or white perspective, but for someone that's in the middle watching both sides. And I have such rich experiences because I have access to so many people, black, white, you know, bottom of the food chain, top of the food chain. And I'm able to have those conversations 
with just my normal voice. I also don't have to do any code switching or talking to this person one way and talking to this person one way. I, I can speak to the people that I have access to with my authentic voice, even my retailer Sephora. And that really, I think, is my value proposition. Mm-hmm. So opening yourself up to the world and just building authentic relationships, seeing where you fit as a brand, as a retailer, as a person, and aligning yourself with those things and people that you can fit with, Mm -hmm. I think gives better results overall. Absolutely. I love that message of like focusing on your similarities, what draws you together and how you guys can bond versus your differences and what sets you apart. But Julian, thank you so much for coming on to Unedited. It was, I loved talking to you and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. I love talking to you too, Grace. Thank you so much for everything. As a listener of ours, we're here to support you throughout 2021. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, ensure you're subscribed to our Insider Briefing, where we'll keep you updated with all of the latest strategies and news. You can sign up at edited.com. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Julian, please make sure you're subscribed to keep in the loop with future episodes. And we'd love it if you could tell your friends and family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch with us at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye.